Hello, and I'm back for Act 2 of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, which makes me feel like I'm dead whenever I read it. I know that it's a classic piece of literature that everybody should enjoy, but I don't. I enjoy the commentary on it, though. Like, the, I enjoy the meaning and everything it does, but I was having such an issue getting through this for some reason. I think because of the setup, like how that it's a play setup. I don't know. But Act 2, I might only get through a bit of Act 2 because it is 6.30 in the morning and I have to go to school. And I wanted to get this done. Oh, you know what? I might be able to get through it. Let's try it. Let's see what we can do here. 20 minutes? Let's see what we can do in 20 minutes. Okay. Act 2. Hamlet. Rose and Gil are talking. The continuation of the previous scene. Their conversation on the move is indecipherable at first. The first intelligible line is, Hamlet's coming, at the end of a short speech. See Shakespeare Act 1, Scene 2. Hamlet. Splud. There's something more than natural, if philosophy could find it out. A flourish from the tragedian's band. Gil. These are players. Hamlet. Gentlemen, you're welcome into Elsinore. Your hands. Come then. He takes their hands. The appearance of welcome is a fashion and ceremony. Let me comply with you in its garb. Lest my extent to the players, which I tell you must show, show fairly outwards, should more appear like entertainment than yours. You are welcome. But my uncle father and aunt mother are deceived. Gil, in what, my dear lord? Hamlet. I am mad. North, 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 northwest, when the wind is surely, southerly, I know a hawk from a handsaw. Polonius enters as Gil turns away. Polonius. Well, be with you, gentlemen. Hamlet, to Rose. Mark you, Guildenstern uncertainly to Gil, and you too, at each ear, a hearer. The great baby you see there is not yet out of the swaddling clouds. He takes Rose upstage with him, talking together. Polonius. My lord, I have news to tell you. Hamlet. Releasing Rose and mimicking. My lord, I have news to tell you. When Rose gives an actor in Rome, Rome, Rose comes downstage to rejoin Gil. Polonius, as he follows Hamlet out. The actors are coming hither as my lord. Hamlet. Buzz, buzz. Exuant, Hamlet, and Polonius. Rose and Gil ponder, each reluctant to speak first. Gil? Hm? Rose? Yes. Gil? What? Rose? I thought you... Gil? No. Rose? Ah. Gil? I think I can say we have some headway. Rose? You think so? Gil? I think we can say that. Rose? I think we can say we made us look ridiculous. Gil? We played it close to the chest, of course. Rose? Derisively. Question and answer. Old ways are the best ways. He was scoring off from the little line. Gil. He caught up the wrong foot once or twice, perhaps, but we thought we gained some ground. Rose. He murdered us. Gil. He might have had the edge. Rose. Twenty-seven. Three. And you think he might have had the edge? He murdered us. Gil. What about our evasions? Rose. Oh, our evasions were lovely. Were you sent for? He says. My lord, we were sent for. I don't think we need to put myself. Gil. He had six rhetoricals. Rose. It was question and answer, all right. Twenty-seven questions. He got out in ten minutes and answered three. I was waiting for you to delve. When is it going to start delving, I asked myself. Gil. In two repetitions. Rose. Hardly a leading question between us. Gil. We got his symptoms, didn't we? Rose. Half of what he said meant something else, and the other half didn't mean anything at all. Gil. Thwarted ambition. Sense of grievance. That's my diagnosis. Rose. Six rhetorical and two repetition, leaving nineteen of which we answered. Fifteen. And what did we get in return? He's depressed. Denmark's prisoner, and he'd rather live in a nutshell. Some shadow play about the nature of ambition, which never got down to cases. And finally, one direct question, which might have led somewhere, and led, in fact, to his illuminating claim to tell a hawk from a handsaw.
Gil. When the wind is southerly, Rose. And the weather's clear, Gil. And when isn't? When it isn't, he can't, Rose. He's the mercy of elephant. Element licks his finger and holds it up. Is that southerly, Gil? It doesn't look southerly. What do you make think? What do you think of it, Rose? I didn't say I think so. It could mean northerly for all we know, Gil. I wouldn't have thought so, Rose. Well, if you're going to be dogmatic, Gil. Wait a minute. We came from a roughly south, according to the rough map. Rose, I see. Well, which way did we come in? Roughly. Gil. In the morning, the sun would be easterly. I think we must assume that. Rose. That it's morning? Gil. If it is, and the sun is over there, for instance, would be northerly. On the other hand, if it is not morning and the sun is over there, that would be northerly. To put it in another way, we came from down there, and it is morning. The sun would be up here, and it's actually over there. And it's morning. We must become up. We must have come from up there then. And if that is southerly and the sun is really over there, then it's afternoon. However, in none of these cases is the case. Rose, you don't have to go. You don't. You go and have a look. Kill pragmatism. Is that what you have to offer? You seem to have no conception of what we stand for. You won't find the answers written down for in the bowl of a compass. I can tell you that. Besides, you can never tell this far north. It's probably dark out there. Rose. I merely suggest that the position of the sun, if it is out, would give you a rough idea of the time. Alternatively, the clock, if it's going, would give you a rough idea of the position of the sun. I forget what you are trying to establish. Gil, I'm trying to establish the direction of the wind. Rose, there isn't any. Drop, yes. Gil, in that case, the origin, trace it to the source, and it might give us a rough idea of what we came in, which might give us a rough idea of south with for further reference. Rose, it's coming up through the floor. That can't be south, can it? Gil, that's not a direction. Lick your toe and wave it around a bit. Rose considers the distance of his foot. Rose, do I think you have to lick it for me? I'm prepared to let the whole matter drop. Rose, or I could lick yours, of course. Gil, no thank you. Rose, I'll even wave it around. Gil, what in God's name is the matter with you? Rose, just being friendly. Gil, retiring. Somebody might come in. It's that we're counting on, after all, ultimately. Rose, perhaps they've all trampled each other to death in the rush. Give them a shout. Something provocative. Intrigue them. Gil. Wheels have been set in motion, and they have their own pace to which we are condemned. Each movie is dictated by the previous one. That is the meaning of order. If we begin arbitrarily, it'll be just shambles, at least. Let us hope so, because if we happen, just happen to discover, or even suspect that our spontaneity was part of their order, we'd know where we were lost. A Chinaman of the Tang Dynasty, and, which definition, a philosopher, dreamed he was a butterfly, and from that moment he was never quite sure if he was not a butterfly, dreaming it was a Chinese philosopher. Envy him in his twofold security. Rose. Fire! Gail jumps up. Gail, where? Rose. It's all right. I'm demonstrating the misuse of free speech to prove it exists. Not a move. They should burn death in their shoes. Gail. What was it? Rose. What? Heads or tails? Rose. Oh, I didn't look. Gail. Yes, you did. Rose. Oh, did I? He takes out a coin and studies it. Quite right. It rings a bell. Gail. What's the last thing you remember? Rose. I don't wish to be reminded of it. Gail. We cross our bridges when we come to them and burn them behind us, with nothing to show of our progress except a memory of the smell of smoke and the presumption that our eyes watered. Rose approaches him brightly, holding a coin between his finger and thumb. He covers it with his other hand, draws his fists apart, and holds them. For Gil, Gil considers them, indicates the left hand. Rose opens it to show it empty. Rose, no. Repeat process. Gil indicates the left hand again. Rose shows it empty. Double bluff. Repeat process. Gil taps one hand, then the other hand. Quickly, Rose inadvertently shows that they're both empty. Rose laughs as Gil turns upstage. Rose stops laughing. He looks around his feet, pats his clothes, and puzzled. Polonius breaks that up by entering upstage, followed by the tragedians in Hamlet. Polonius. 
Come, sirs, Hamlet, follow him, friends. We'll hear a play tomorrow. Thou dost hear me, old friend, can you play the murder of Gonzago? Player, I, my lord, Hamlet. We'll hot that tomorrow. You could need a study for speech of some dozen or sixteen lines, which I could set down and insert. Could you not? Player, I, my lord, Hamlet. Very well, follow that lord, and look at you, mock him not. Hamlet, my good friends, I'll leave you till tonight. You're welcome to Elsinore. Rose, good, my lord. Hamlet goes. Gil, you're caught up. Player, not yet, sir. Gil, now mind your tongue, or we'll have to stand and throw away the rest, like a nightingale at a Roman feast. Okay, so it's me again. Rose and Gil are about to go back and forth a bunch of times, and I feel like excessively saying Rose and Gil over and over is going to get annoying. So from this point on, I'll say Gil and then Rose once, and then it's just alternating back and forth. I'll do a quick pause in between, but could follow along in the academic reading guide. It's page 56. So here we go. Gil, now mind your tongue or we'll have to throw the rest of it away, like a nightingale at a Roman feast. Rose, took the very words out of my mouth. You'd be lost for words. You'd be tongue-tied. Like a minute, like a mute in a monologue, like a nightingale at a Roman feast. Your diction will go to pieces. Your lines will be cut. To dumb shows and dramatic pauses. You'll never find your tongue. Lick your lips. Taste your tears. Your breakfast. You won't know the difference. There won't be any. We'll take the very words out of your mouth. So you've caught on. So you've caught up. Player. Not yet. You left us. Gil. Ah, I'd forgotten. You performed a dramatic spectacle on the way. Yes, I'm sorry we had to miss it. Player. We can't look at each other in the face. You don't understand the humiliation of it. To be tricked out of the single assumption which makes our existence viable. That somebody is watching. The plotless two corpses gone before we caught outside of ourselves, stripped naked in the middle of nowhere and pouring ourselves down a bottomless well. Rose, is that thirty-eight? Player, there we were, demented children, mincing about in clothes that no one ever wore, speaking as no man ever spoke, swearing love in wigs and rhymed couplets, killing each other with the wooden swords, hollow protestations of faith hurled after empty promises of vengeance, and every gesture, every pose, vanishing into the thin, unpopulated air. We ransomed our dignity to the clouds, and the uncomprehending birds listened. Didn't you see? We're actors. We're the opposite of people. Think in your head now. Think of the most private, secret, intimate thing you have ever done, secure in the knowledge of its privacy. Are you thinking of it? Well, I saw you do it. Rose leaps up, disassembling madly. Rose, you never. It's a lie. Player. We're actors. We pledged our identities, secure in the conventions of our trade, that someone would be watching, and then gradually no one was. We were caught high and dry. It was not until the murderer's long soliloquy that we were able to look around, frozen as we were in profile, our eyes searched you out. First confidently, then hesitantly, then desperately, as each patch of turf, each log, each exposed corner in every direction proved uninhabitable, and all the while murderous king addressed the horizon with a dreary, interminable guilt. Our heads began to move. Wary as lizards, the corpse of unsullied Rosalinda peeped through his fingers, and the king faltered. Even then, a habit and a stubborn trust that our audience spied upon us, from behind the nearest bush, forced our bodies to blunder, on long after they had emptied the meaning, until, like runaway carts, they dragged to a halt. No one came forward. No one shouted at us. The silence was unbreakable. It imposed itself upon us. It was obscene. We took off our crowns and swords and cloth of gold and were silent into the road to Elsinore. Gil brilliantly recreated if the eyes could weep. Rather strong on a metaphor, mind you. No criticism, only matter of taste. And so here you are, with a vengeance. That's a figure of speech, isn't it? Well, let's say we made it up for you. They have no doubt to whom thanks the performance of the court. Rose. We are counting on it to take him to himself. You are the pleasure which we draw to him. And by that, I don't mean your usual filth. You can't treat royalty like people with normal perverted desires. 
They know nothing of that, and you know nothing of them to your mutual survival. So give him a good clean show suitable for all of your family, or you can rest assured you'll be playing the tavern tonight. Gil, or the night after. Rose, or not. Player. We had already entry there, and always have had. Gil, you've played him before. Player, yes, sir. Rose, and what's it been? Player, classical. Rose, saucy. Gil, what will you play? Player, the murder of Gonzago. Gil, full of fine cadence and corpses. Player, pirated from the Italian. Rose, what is it about? Player, it's about a king and queen. Gil, escapism, what else? Player, blood. Gil, love and rhetoric. Player, yes. Gil, where are you going? Player, I come and go as I please. Gil, you're evidently a man who knows his way around. Player, I've been here before. We're still finding our feet. Player, I could concentrate not losing your heads. Gil, do you speak from knowledge? Player, precedent. Gil, you've been here before. Player, and I know which way the wind is blowing. Gil, operating on two levels, are we? How clever. I expect it comes naturally to you, being the business of the speak. The player's grave face does not change. He makes to move off again. Gil, for the second time, cuts him off. The truth is, we value our company. Okay, so I have to go to school, and there's a bunch left in this act. So I think I'm going to stop here and then continue later. So I'm stopping on page 61 of the Academic book, the 50th anniversary edition, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, You Sad. Um, I'll give a quick little synopsis of what happened. So basically, the other act ended, and they were still in the castle with Hamlet. Uh, the player comes in, and it's evident that the player understands that he's an actor in the play and that he is unreversibly tied to this role. Um, I think the player can move about freely, but Rose and Gil don't. Uh, they say that they can't find their feet while the player knows exactly what's going on. So I think that the player had like a bigger role. Um, we can see towards the end he does have a bigger role, but for now we're just aware that he does have a bigger role. He knows what's going on, and he's been there before. Um... I think that the player's commentary on plays is Stoppard speaking through the player, saying, like, well, there has to be blood, love, and rhetoric, and there always has to be blood. The other two are interchangeable. So I think that that's really Stoppard's view on what plays are. Uh, yeah, that is the end of this session. I will continue it later tonight um, with Act 2, and then tomorrow with Act 3. Yeah. So thank you for listening. If you're Fernie, I love you. And if you're not Fernie, I probably love you too. I hope you got something out of this podcast besides me just randomly reading a strange play that no one's heard of until they joined Akadak. So have a great day, my friends. And I will, you can listen to me soon. Thank you. Hello. So for you, it's probably been like five seconds, but for me, it's been a whole ass day, so that's nice, I guess. Uh, yeah, it was a day, truly. Uh, came home, my rabbit ate some of my fern plant, so that's beautiful, but anyway, um, here is the second part of the second act of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, I will be starting on page 62 of the USAD, United States Academic Decathlon book that they supplied, and here we go. <clears throat> Gil, exactly what? Rose, exactly why? Gil, exactly why what? Rose, what? Gil, why? Rose, why what exactly? Gil, why is he mad? Rose, I don't know. Player, the old man thinks he's in love with his daughter. Rose, good God, we're out of our depth here. Player, no, 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 he's not, he hasn't got a daughter. The old man thinks he's in love with his daughter. The old man is. Player, Hamlet, in love with the old man's daughter, the old man thinks. Rose, ha, it's beginning to make sense. Unrequited passion. Gil, nobody leaves the room. 
without a very good reason. Player, why not? Gil, all this strolling about is getting too arbitrary by half. I'm rapidly losing my grip from now till the reason will prevail. Player, I have lines to learn. Gil, pass. The player passes into one room in the wing. Rose, next, but no one comes. Gil, what did you expect? Rose, something, someone, nothing. They sit facing front. Are you hungry? Gil, no, are you? Rose, no. You remember the coin? Gil, no. Rose, I think I lost it. Gil, what coin? Rose, I don't remember exactly. Gil, oh, that coin, clever. Rose, I can't remember how I did it. Gil, it probably comes natural to you. Rose, yes, I've got a showstopper here. Gil, do it again. Slight pause. Rose, he can't afford it. Gil, yes, one thinks of the future. It's a normal thing. Gil, to have one, one is, after all, at the time, now and now and now. Rose, I can go on forever. Well, not forever, I suppose. Do you think of yourself as actually dead, lying in a box with a lid on it? Gil, no. Rose, nor do I. It's silly to be depressed by it. I mean, one thinks of it like being alive in a box. One keeps forgetting to take into account the fact that one is dead, which would make all the difference, shouldn't it? I mean, you'd never know you were in a box, wouldn't you? It would be just like being asleep in a box. Not that I'd like to be sleeping in a box, mind you. Not without any air. You'd wake up dead for a start, and then where would you be apart from inside a box? That's the bit I don't like, frankly. That's why I don't think of it. Because you'd be helpless, wouldn't you? Stuffed in a box like that. I mean, you'd be there forever. Even taking into account the fact that you're dead, isn't it a pleasant thought? Especially if you're dead, really ask yourself. If I asked you straight up, I'm going to stuff you in this box. Would you rather be alive or dead? Naturally, you'd prefer to be alive. Life in a box is better than no life at all, I expect. You'd have a chance at least. You would lie there thinking, well, at least I'm not dead. In a minute, someone's going to bang on the lid and tell me to come out. Hey, you, whatever your name is, come out here. Gil, you haven't got to flog it to death. Rose, I wouldn't think of it. I were you. You'd get depressed. Eternity is a terrible thought. I mean, where's it going to end? Two early Christians chanced to meet in heaven. Saul of Taurus yet, cried one. What are you doing here? Tarsus Shanmar. Tarsus Shanmarsus, replied the other. I'm Paul already. They don't care. We count for nothing. We could remain silent until we're green in the face they wouldn't come. Gil. Blue. Red. Rose. A Christian, a mausoleum, and a, a Muslim, and a Jew. Chanced to meet in a closed carriage. Silverstein, cried the Jew. Who's your friend? His name's Abdullah, replied the Muslim. No, but he's no friend of mine since he's become a convert. All right, who knows you're in there? Come out talking. We have no control, none at all. Whatever became of the moment when you first knew about death, there must have been one, a moment, in childhood, when it first occurred to you that you don't go on forever. It must have been shattering, stamped into one's memory, and yet I can't remember it. It never occurred to me at all. What does one make of it? We must have been born with an intuition of mortality, before we knew the words for it, before we know that there are words. Out we come, bloodied and squalling, in the knowledge that for all that compasses the world, there's only one direction, and time is its only measure. A Hindu, a Buddhist, and a lion tamer chance to meet in a circus in the Indo-Chinese border. They're taking it for granted. Well, I won't stand for it, and future notice will be taken. Keep on, then. I forbid anyone to enter. That's better. Immediately behind him, a grand procession enters. Principally Claudius, Gertrude, Polonius, and Ophelia. Claudius takes Rose's elbow, and he passes it. And in immediately deep in conversation, the context is Shakespeare, Act 3, Scene 1. Gil still faces Frontis, Claudius, Rose, etc., upstate in turn. Gil. Death followed by eternity, the worst of both worlds. It is a terrible thought. Gertrude. Did you receive your well? Rose. Most like gentlemen. Gil. But with such forcing of his disposition. Rose. Of question, but your most demands most free his reply. Gertrude. Did you assist him in any pastime? 
Rose, madam, it fell out of certain players, we were wrought on the same way of those we told him, and there did seem them a kind of joy, to hear of it. They were here about the court, and as I think they have another order, this night play for him. Polonius, tis most true, and he beseeched to entreat your majesties to hear you to send her. Claudius, with all my heart and doth content me, to hear him so inclined, good gentlemen give him a further edge, and drive his purpose into these delights. Rose, we shall, my lord. Claudius, Sweet Gertrude, leave us too, for we have closely sent for him hither, and he is twerked the accident may have here, a frontophilia. Rose, never a moment's peace, in and out and on or off, they're coming us from all sides. Gil, you're never satisfied. Rose, catching us on the trot, we can't go by them. Gil, what's the difference? Rose, I'm going. Rose pulls his cloak round him, Gil ignores him, without confidence Rose heads up stage. He looks out and comes back quickly. He's coming. Gil, what's he doing? Rose, nothing. Gil, he must be doing something. Walking? On his hands? No, on his feet. Stark naked? Fully dressed. Selling toffee apples? Not that I noticed. You could be wrong. I don't think so. Gil. I can't for the life of me know how we're going to get into conversation. Hamlet enters upstage and pauses, weighing up the pros and cons of making his quietest. Rose and Gil watch him. Rose. Nevertheless, I suppose one might say this was a chance. Might well accost him. Yes, it definitely looks like a chance to me. Something on the lines of direct and formal approach, man to man, straight from the shoulder. Now look here, what's that? Sort of. Yes, yes. This is like what we've got to be grabbed by both hands, I should say. If I were asked, no, point looking at the gift horse till you say the whites of its eyes, etc. He was moved towards Hamlet, but more nervous fall. He returns. We're over on our, at our trouble. When it comes to the point, we succumb to their personality. Ophelia enters with prayer for the religious procession of one. Hamlet. Nymph and the orations of my sins remembered. Ophelia. Good, my lord. How is your honor at this my day? Hamlet. I humbly thank you. Well, well. Rose, it's living in a public park. Gil, very impressive. Yes, I thought about your direct and formal approach was going to stop this thing dead in its tracks here. If I might come to suggestion, shut up and sit down. Stop being per perversive. Rose, near tears. I'm not going to stand for it. A female finger, a figure, the queen enters. Rose marches up behind her, puts his hands over her eyes, and says with a desperate frivolity, Rose, guess who? Player, having appeared. Alfred! Rose lets go, spins around. He has been holding Alfred in his robe and blonde wig. Players in the downstairs corner still. Rose comes down so the exit. The player does not budge. He and Rose stand toe to toe. Rose, excuse me. The player lifts his downstage foot. Rose bends up his hands on the floor. The player lowers his foot. Rose screams and loops away. Player, I beg your pardon? Gil, what did he do? Player, I put my foot down. My hand was on the floor. You put your hand under his foot? I, what for? I thought, don't leave me. He makes a break for the exit, a tragedian just as the king enters. Rose recoils, breaks from the opposite wing. Two cloaked tragedians enter. Rose tries again, but another tragedian enters, and Rose retires to mid-stage. The player claps his hands matter-of-factly. Player. Right, we haven't got much time. Gil, what are you doing? Player. Dress rehearsal. Now if you two wouldn't mind just moving back there. Good. Everyone ready? And for goodness sake, remember what we're doing. We always use the same costumes, more or less, and they forget what they were supposed to be in, you see? Stop picking your nose, Alfred. When queens have to do they are a cerebral process passed down in blood good silence off we go well 30 minutes huh bogus curse player no 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 dumb till first your confounded majesty to rosengill they're a bit out of practice but they always pick up wonderfully for the deaths it brings out the poetry in them gill how nice player there's nothing more convincing than an unconvincing death, I'm sure. Player claps his hands.
The mind, soft must of their corner, player king and player queen embrace. She kneels and makes a show of protestance to him. He takes up, declining his head upon her neck. He lies down. She's seeing him asleep, leaves him. Gil, what is the dumb show for? Player, well, it's a device, really. It makes the actions that follow more or less comprehensible, you understand? We are tied down to language, which makes up obscurity, what in lack style. The mime enters another. He takes off sleeper's crown, kisses it. He brought it with a small bottle of liquid. He pours the poison in the sleeper's ear and leaves him. The sleeper convulses heroically, dying. Who is that? Player, the king's brother and uncle to the prince. Gil, not exactly fraternal. Player, not exactly avuncular as time goes on. Hamlet, go to. All more to it hath me mad. She falls to her knees weeping. I say we have no more marriage. His voice drops to include Shudians who have frozen. Those who are married already, he leans to the player and queen, poisoned. Poisoner speaking with a quiet edge. All but one shall live. The rest shall keep as they are. He leaves Ophelia tottering upstage. He speaks into her ear, quickly clipped sentence. To a nunnery go. He goes out. Ophelia falls to her knees upstage. Her sob is barely audible. A slight silence. Full thirty minutes has Phobos cart. Claudius, love? His affections do not what they tend, or what he spake. Though it lacked for him little, was not like madness, there's something. In his soul or the melancholy sits on. Brood and I do doubt the hatch as disclose will be some danger, which for to prevent I have in quick determination thus set it down. He shall with speed to England, which carries the three of them. Claudius, Polonius, Ophelia, out of sight. The player moves clapping his hands for attention. Player, gentlemen, it doesn't seem becoming. We're not getting it at all. What do you think? Gil, what was I supposed to think? Player, you're not getting across. Rose has gone halfway to Ophelia. He returns. That didn't look like love to me, Gil, starting from scratch again. Player, it was a mess. Rose, it's going to be chaos all night. Gil, keep back. We're spectators. Act two. Positions? Gil, wasn't that the end? Player, do you call that an ending with practically everyone on his feet? My goodness, no, over your dead body. Gil, how am I supposed to take that? player, lying down. There's a design at work in all art. Surely you know that. Events must play themselves out in aesthetic, moral, and logical conclusion. Gil. What's that in this case? Player. It never varies. We aim to point where everyone who is marked for death dies. Gil. Marked? Player. Between just deserts and tragic irony. We are given quite a lot of scope for a particular talent. Generally speaking, things have gone about as far as they could possibly go within things, having gone about as bad as they reasonably get. Gil. Who decides? Decides? It's written. He turns away. Gil grabs him and spins him back violently. Now, if you're going to be subtle, we'll miss each other in the dark. I'm referring to oral tradition, so to speak. We're Trojans, you see. We follow directions. There's no choice involved. The bad end unhappily that goes unluckily. That is what tragedy means. Positions? The tragedians have been taken as seriously as the continuation of mine. Player, go. The lovers begin. The player contributes a breathless commentary for Rose and Gil. Having murdered his brother and wooed the widow, the poisoner mounts the throne. Here we see him, and his queen gives rein to their unbridled passion. She little knowing what the man she holds in her arms. Rose, oh, I say here, really, you can't do that. Player, why not? Well, really, I mean, people want to be entertained. They don't come expecting sordid and gratuitous filth. Player, you're wrong. They do. Murder, seduction, and incest. What do you want, jokes? Rose, I want a good story. From a beginning, middle, and end. Player, and you? I prefer art to mirror life, if it's all the same to you. Player, it's all the same to me, sir. Okay, I'm not exactly sure where I left off, but I'll start on page 74. Lysanias, nephew to the king, usurped by his uncle and shattered by his mother's incestuous marriage, loses his reason. 
throwing the court into turmoil and disarray as he alternates between bitter melancholy and unrestricted lunacy, staggering from the suicidal to homicidal. He last confronts his mother in a scene of provocative ambiguity. The king, tormented by guilt, haunted by fear, decides to dispatch his nephew to England and entrust him with undertaking of two smiling accomplices, friends, courtiers, to spy, giving him a letter to present to the English court, and so they depart on the board ship. The two spies position themselves on either side of the player, and three of them sway gently in unison the motion of the boat, and then the player detaches himself, and they arrive. One spy shades his eye at the horizon, the English king. An exchange of headgear creates the English king from the remnant player, that is, the player who played the or original murdered king. But where is the prince? Where, indeed, the plot is thickened, a twist of fate and cunning has put up their hands in a letter that seals their deaths. The two spies present the letter. The English king reads it and orders their deaths. They stand up as the player whips off their cloaks in preparation to execution. Traitors hoisted their own petrard, or victims of the gods. We shall never know. The whole mime has been fluid and continuous, but now Rose moves forward and brings into a pause. What brings Rose forward is the fact that under their cloaks, the two spies are wearing coats identical to those worn by Rose and Gill, whose coats are now covered by their cloaks. Rose approaches his spy doubtfully. He does not quite understand why the coats are familiar. Rose stands close, touches the coat thoughtfully. Well, if it isn't, no, wait a minute, don't tell me. It's a long time since. Where was it? Ah, oh, this is taking me back. When was it? I know, I don't. I never forget a face. Not that I know yours. For a moment, I thought, no. I don't know you, do I? Yes, I'm afraid you're quite wrong. You must have mistaken me for someone else. Gil, meanwhile, has approached the other spy. Brow creased in thought. Player, are you familiar with this play? Gil, no. Player, a slaughterhouse. Eight corpses, all told. It brings out the best in us. Gil, you, what do you know about death? Player, it's what the actors do best. Best. They have to exploit whatever talent is given to them, and their talent is dying. They can die heroically, comically, ironically, slowly, suddenly, disgustingly, charmingly, or from a great height. My own talent is more general. I extract significance from melodrama, a significance which does not, in fact, contain, but occasionally, from out of this matter, there escapes a thin beam of light that, seen on the right angle, can crack the shell of mortality. Rose, is that all they can do? Die? Player, no, no. They kill beautifully, in fact. Some of them kill even better when they die. The rest die better than they kill. They're a team. Rose, which ones are rich? Player, there's not much in it. Gil, actors, the mechanics of cheap melodrama. That isn't death. You can scream and choke and sing to your knees, but it doesn't bring death home to anybody. It doesn't catch them unawares and start to whisper in their skulls, it says. One day you're going to die. You die so many times, how can you expect them to believe your death? Player, on the contrary, it's the only kind they do believe. They're conditioned to it. I had an actor once who was condemned to hang for stealing a sheep or a lamb. I forget which, so I got permission to have him hanged in the middle of a play. I had no change in the plot of it, but I thought it would be effective, you know? And he wouldn't believe it. He just wasn't convincing. It was impossible to suspend one's belief. And what was the audience cheering and throwing peanuts? The whole thing was a disaster. He did nothing but cry all the time, right out of character. Just stood there and cried, never again. Audiences know what to expect, and that's all they're prepared to believe in. No, 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 you've got it all wrong. You can't act death. The fact is nothing to do with seeing it happen. It's not gas and blood and falling about. And it isn't what makes death. It's a, it's a man failing to appear. That's all. Now you see him, now you don't. That's the only thing that's real. Here one minute and gone the next, and never coming back. An exit, unobtrusive and unannounced. A disappearance gathering weight as it goes, until finally it's heavy with death. The two spies lie still, barely visible. The player comes forward and throws the spies' cloaks over their bodies. Rose starts to clap slowly there's a blackout. A second of silence and much noise shouts. The king rises, give over the play, and cries, lights, lights, lights. When the lights come out, 
comes after a seconds is gone. It's calm as a sunrise. The stage is empty, save for two cloaked figures sprawling on the ground in approximate positions last held by the dead spies. As the light grows, they are seen to be Rose and Gil, to be resting quite comfortably. Rose raises himself with his elbows and shades his eyes as he stares into the auditorium. Finally. Rose. That must be east, then. I think we can assume that. Gil. I'm assuming nothing. Rose. No, it's all right. Then the sun's east. Where? I watched it come up. Gil. No, it's a light all the time, you see, and you opened your eyes very, very slowly. If you'd been facing back there, you'd be swearing that was east. Rose. You're a massive prejudice. Gil. I've taken it before. Rose. Rings a bell. They're waiting to see what you're going to do. Good old east. As soon as we make a move, they'll be pouring in from every side, shouting obscure instructions, confusing us with ridiculous remarks, messing up us about here to breakfast and getting our names wrong. Rose starts to protest, but he's hardly opened his mouth before. Claudius. Offstage. Oh, Guildenstern. Rose and Gil. You're wanted. Gil furiously leaps to his feet as Claudius and Gertrude enter. They're in some desperation. Claudius. Friends both, go join you with some further aid. Hamlet in madness hath Polonius slain, and from his mother's closet hath he dragged him. Go seek him out. Speak to s speak fair and bring the body into the chapel. I pray haste in this. Come, Gertrude. We'll call up your wisest friends and let them both know what we mean to do. Gil, well. Rose, quite. Gil, well, well. Rose, quite well. Etc. Gil, quite. Well, isn't this a step in the right direction? You didn't like him? Who? Good God, I hope more tears are shed for us. Well, it's progress, isn't it? Something positive? Seek him out? Where does one begin? Well, that's a step in the right direction. Rose, you think so? Gil, all right. You go that way, I'll go this way. Right. Rose, right. They walk towards opposite wings. Rose halts. No. Gil halts. You go this way, I'll go that way. Gil, all right. They march towards each other. Cross. Rose halts. Wait a minute. Gil halts. I think we should sit together. He might be violent. Good point. I'll come with you. Gil marches across to Rose and they turn to leave. Rose halts. No, I'll come with you. Right. Rose, I'll come with you my way. Gil, all right. Rose, I've just thought. If we both go, we can come here. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? All right, I'll stay with you. Rose, right. I've had just had a thought. Gil halts. We ought to stick together. He might be violent. Gil, good point. Gil marches down to join Rose. Well, at least we're getting somewhere. Of course, he might not come. Oh, he'll come. We have some explaining to do. He'll come. Don't worry. Take my word for it. He's coming. What's he doing? Walking? Alone? No, not walking. No. Who's with him? The old man. Walking? No. Ah, oh, that's an opening if he ever was one. Let him walk into the trap. Rose, what trap? Gil, you stand there. Don't let him pass. He positions Rose with his back to one wing, facing Hamlet's entrance. Gil positions himself next to Rose, a few feet away, so that they're covering one side of the stage, facing the opposite side. Gil unfastens his belt. Excuse me, I had to yawn. It's like 6.30 in the morning. They join the two belts and hold them top between them. Rose's trousers slide down slowly. Hamlet enters opposite, slowly dragging Polonius's body. He enters upstage, making a small arc and leaves around the same side, a few feet downstage. Rose and Gil, holding the belts taut, stare at him in bewilderment. Rose, that was close. Gil, there's a hint to what two people can do. Rose. He was dead. Gil, of course he's dead. Rose, properly. Gil, death's death, isn't it? Perhaps he'll come back this way. No, no, no. Rose resists. Pause. Rose, give him a shout. Gil, I thought we'd be into that. Rose? Hamlet? Gil, don't be absurd. Rose shouts. Lord Hamlet? Hamlet enters. Rose is a little dismayed. What have you done, my lord, with the dead body? Hamlet, compounded it with dust, where to is his skin? Rose, tell us where it is that we take the ch this hence and bear it to the chapel. Hamlet, 
do not believe it rose believe what hamlet that i can keep your counsel and not mine own besides speed demand demanded of a sponge what replication should be made of the son of a king rose take you me for a sponge my lord hamlet i sir that soaks up the king's countenance his reward his authorities but such officers do the king best service in the end he keeps them like an ape in the corner of his jaw first mouth to be last swallowed when he needs what you've gleaned it's but squeezing you and sponge you shall be dry again rose i understand you not my lord hamlet i'm glad of it knavish speeches sleeps in foolish ear rose my lord you must tell us where the body is go with us to the king hamlet the body is with the king but the king is not with the body the king is a thing kill a thing my lord hamlet of nothing bring me to him hamlet moves resolutely toward one wing they move with him shepherding just before they reach the exit hamlet apparently sees claudius approaching from off stage ben lows in sweeping bow rose and gill cued by hamlet also bow deeply a sweeping ceremonial bow with their cloaks swept around them hamlet however continues the movement into an about turn and walks off in the opposite direction no one comes on rose and gill squint toward and find that they're bowing to nothing claudius enters behind them at first words they leap claudius how now what hath befallen rose where is the body bestowed my lord we cannot get from him but where is he without my lord guarded you know my pleasure bring him before us this hits rose between the eyes but only his eyes show it rose ho bring in the lord again there is a fractional moment in which rose is smug gill is trapped and betrayed gill opens his mouth and closes it the situation is saved hamlet escorted all right then gill and yet it doesn't seem enough you have breathed such significance it was a dying episode while it lasted but they've done it us now done what rose i don't pretend i've understood frankly i'm not very interested if they won't tell us that's their affair for my part i'm glad that it's the last way rose i don't pretend they have understood frankly i'm not very interested i knew it wasn't the end rose what else we're taking him to England. What's he done? Talking to himself? No, he's with a soldier. Then he's not talking to himself, is he? Not by himself. Should we go? Where? Anywhere. Why? There it is again. Give us a stay our daily round. They'll have us hanging up about till we're dead. Hamlet. Good sir, whose powers are these? Soldier. They are of Norway, sir. Hamlet. How proposed, sir, I pray you? Soldier. Against some part of Poland. Hamlet. Who commands them, sir? Soldier. The nephew to the old Norway Fontebras. Rose, will be cold, the summer won't last. Gil, it's autumnal. Rose, no leaves. Gil, autumnal. Nothing to do with leaves, it's to do with the certain brownness of the edges of the day. Brown is creeping up on us, take my word for it. Restless and tangerine shades of old gold flushing the very outside of our senses. Deep shining orchards, burnt umber in the parchments of baked earth, reflecting on itself and through itself, filtering the light. At such times, perhaps, coincidentally, the leaves might fall. Somewhere, be repute. Yesterday was blue, like smoke. Rose, I got it again, then. Hamlet, I humbly thank you, sir. Soldier, God buy you, sir. Rose gets up quickly and goes to Hamlet. Will you, my lord? Will you go, my lord, says Rose. Hamlet, I'll be with you straight. Go you a little before. Hamlet turns to face up stage. Rose turns down. Gil faces front. He doesn't turn. Gil, is he there? Rose, yes. Gil, what's he doing? Talking to himself? Yes. Rose, he said we can go. Cross my heart. Gil, I like to know what I am. Even if I don't know where I am, I like to know that. If we go, there's no knowing. Rose, no knowing what? Gil, if we'll ever come back. Rose, we don't want to come back. Gil, that may very well be true, but do we want to go? Rose, we'll be free. Gil, I don't know, it's the same sky. Rose, we've come this far. He moves toward exit, Gil follows him. And besides, anything could happen. Yet, they go. 
and there's a blackout. All right, so that was the end of Act 2. Thank God it took forever to get through. Act 3 is a lot shorter. So I'll give a brief synopsis of what that was about. Um, I would say it was a lot of Stoppard talking through the player, um, commenting on how that Rose and Gil don't know who they are, but he does. And um, there's a scene where they talk about death a lot. Um, the player seems to be very convinced that people expect death to lurk look a certain way such as in plays when it's so dramatic dramatized and like blood spurting everywhere and people are screaming but rose and gill are saying that it's just an absence of a person so there's a contrast between the play world and the real world which gill and rose are trying to access that they can't quite get to um i think that was the big takeaway from it uh the scene ends and they're about to take hamlet to wherever he wants to go or wherever he's they're supposed to be taking him and that's about it. Uh, yeah. I'll read the other part probably tomorrow or the week today. So thanks for listening. If you're Fernie, which you probably are because you're the only one who listens to these, I love you. And if you're not, I probably love you too. Have a great day, evening, night, middle of the night, witching hour, whatever it is. And I will see you or you will hear me eventually, probably soon. <laughs>